So uh, this afternoon we are uh, continuing in Leviticus 23. A couple weeks ago we looked at uh, the first several of these these festivals that were here. We uh, touched upon the the Passover uh, and in connection with the Passover, the uh, the waving of the sheaf of the first fruits, and uh, then the uh, the day of Pentecost. And so uh, today we're going to be looking uh, from verse 23 of Leviticus 23 down through the end of the chapter. So we'll begin uh, reading in uh, Leviticus 23, verse 23. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement, and shall be a holy convocation for you. And you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on this same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month at evening, from evening until evening you shall keep your Sabbath. Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. On the fifteenth of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days, Excuse me, on the 15th of the seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each day's matter on its own day, besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your gifts and besides your votive and free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On exactly the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native-born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. 
And so uh, what we're looking at this afternoon is the, the final three of these, these Sabbaths or these, these festivals that are listed out here. And so what we have in uh, verses 23 through 25 is the, uh, what is sometimes called the, the Feast of Trumpets. What we have uh, in verses 26 through 32 is the Day of Atonement. And then the final uh, stretch of the chapter deals with the Feast of Booths. So today we're looking at Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Booths. Now, first of all, the Feast of, the feast of Trumpets is to take place on the first day of the seventh month. There's to be no laborious work done. There's an offering by fire to the Lord. And it is said that this is to be a reminder. It was, uh, it seems, to remind them of the important days which were coming in the seventh month. The seventh month was stacked, as it were, with these holy convocations because all of these final three occur within the seventh month. This month would have marked the end of all of the harvest. The barley harvest, the wheat harvest, the olive harvest, the grape harvest, all were at their ends. And so they were to rejoice in the Lord uh, for his mercies in that month. And they were also to solemnly humble themselves for their sins. And this blowing of the trumpets on the first of the seventh month seems to have been in order to put the people in uh, to serve as a reminder so that they would get in the proper frame of mind for the events that were coming that month. And so they would be reminded of God's goodness and God's mercies, and they would also be reminded of their need for repentance. So the day of blowing the trumpet seems to be setting the stage for the events that would soon be at hand. And the first of those events then is on the 10th of the seventh month with the Day of Atonement. Now the particular priestly instructions for the Day of Atonement were given back in Leviticus 16, and of course when we were there uh, in the regular course of sermons in Leviticus, we, we considered uh, in greater detail uh, what was to be done by the priests on the Day of Atonement. But what we have here in chapter 23 speaks more to the conduct of the individual Israelite. The Day of Atonement was not one of the, the pilgrim feasts, and there is no national assembly that day that was required. The high priest, obviously, that day was to be sacrificing the goat for the sin offering and was to be sending away the scapegoat away from the tabernacle. Uh, but the Israelites were not required to be there at the tabernacle for that event. But what they were required to do, as sketched out here, is they were to humble their souls. They were not supposed to do any work. They were to repent of their sins, and they were to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And this humbling took the, the outward form of fasting from food, and uh, at least according to uh, one of the Targums, it also took the form of abstinence from bathing and conjugal relations as well. Indeed, in the New Testament, Luke referred to the Day of Atonement just in passing, kind of marking the time of year in Acts 27 when Paul was getting ready to, uh, uh, to sail on the Mediterranean and Luke was making the point that it was dangerous. Luke referred to the day simply as the fast. And so uh, this was the one required annual fast of the Old Testament times, so much so that Luke could refer to it simply as the fast and everybody familiar with Old Testament context would have, would have known what Luke was talking about. And so we're not obviously going to go into the uh, details of the Day of Atonement that were spelled out in Leviticus 16, but suffice it to say that on that day, the 
when the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, taking the blood to offer for his own sins and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. That was what was happening that day. And this was the day, of course, when the priest would take both of his hands and place it on the head of the scapegoat and confess all of the iniquities of the Israelites and all of their transgressions in regard to their sins. And then that goat would go out bearing those sins out into the wilderness. And so this is a very serious and solemn day. The writer to the Hebrews describes that day in Hebrews 10.3 by saying that it was a reminder of sins year by year. Hence, the call to humble themselves. They'd rebelled against God and therefore they should humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. But then the solemnity and the humiliation of that day gave way, just five days later, to the joy of the Feast of Booths, starting on the 15th of the month. And on the first day and the eighth day of the Feast of Booths, there is to be this, this holy convocation with no work being done. This was to be a joyous Event and so if you look there uh, at verses thirty nine and following, you can you can see the joy that was to take place. Verse thirty nine. This was after they had gathered in all of their crops, and uh, then verse forty. You see they're they're taking this this foliage uh, into their hands and they are rejoicing before the Lord, celebrating this feast. And so this was a a great time of rejoicing for the people and. And so they would, they would have these, these palm branches and, and boughs of the willows of the brook, and they would be going uh, rejoicing before the Lord. And then we see that they would, they would build these booths uh, to remember that the nation had lived in booths in the wilderness after the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. So that's, that's a, a rough summary sketch of these three events that are sketched out for us in the seventh month. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Booths. Now, what we want to do is see how these holy convocations prescribed here point us ahead to Christ. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is perhaps, in some ways, a little bit more difficult than, than the others to, uh, to see specifically how it points us to Christ. But, nevertheless, I would say that the Feast of Trumpets should point us forward to the proclamation of the gospel. We find this in Isaiah 27, verse 13. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown and those who are perishing in the land of Assyria and who are scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. And so just like the, the trumpets blowing on the first of the seventh month were to call to people to attention and to remind them of these coming events, both of the atonement that was coming for sins and of the feast of joy that would come in the Feast of Booths, so also now the proclamation of the gospel reminds us that atonement has been made in Christ. The atonement is not future, the atonement is past. And it reminds us that there is a time of great joy coming when we will go to be with Christ. The blowing of the trumpet reminds us that also, there will one day be the sounding of the final trumpet at which Christ will return and our bodies will be raised incorruptible. Now, in regard to the Day of Atonement, we should remember, uh, especially from our, our time in Leviticus 16, that, that 
what took place on the Day of Atonement was the one time in the year when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle or later of the temple to make atonement for the sins of the people. And his going into the Holy of Holies was foreshadowing the entrance of Jesus, the great high priest, into the true and heavenly Holy of Holies to make intercession for his people. Jesus, of course, entering not by the means of the blood of goats and bulls, but entering by means of his own blood. And so we read in Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Day of Atonement points us ahead to Christ, Christ's ascension, Christ entering the heavenly holy of holies, having made atonement by his own blood. Now he is there as our high priest to make intercession for us. And also the Feast of Booths points us ahead to Christ. Read at the beginning of our time from, from John chapter 7, Jesus at the Feast of Booths speaking, and both John 7 and John 8 give us, uh, I think, uh, Jesus there at the Feast of Booths applying to himself the, the imagery that the Jewish people were using at the Feast of Booths. And so as the Feast of Booths was celebrated in the time of Jesus, the custom was that there would be this golden vessel that would be filled with water drawn from the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, and it would be taken in procession to the temple. And the priest would walk around the altar in the temple with this, uh, with this golden vessel of water while Psalms 113 through 118 were being sung. And then that water would be mixed with the wine of the daily drink offering. And uh, this water and wine would then be poured out into silver bowls and poured out before the Lord. And this was a, this was a joyous thing. The Jewish Mishnah went so far as to say that one who did not see the celebration of the place of the drawing of the water never saw celebration in his days. This was, this was it as far as the first century Jews were concerned. And in doing so, with this, with this water, the Jews were both looking back to the Lord's gracious provision of water in the wilderness. Think of how the Lord through Moses had miraculously provided water out of the rock for their needs. And they were not only looking to the past, but they were also looking ahead to the Messianic age and the outpouring of the Spirit. And the, the Old Testament prophets had brought together this, this imagery of water with the promise of the Holy Spirit who was to come. And just to, to give a, a couple of those references, Ezekiel 36, 25 through, through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And so the cleansing with water that symbolizes the cleansing from sin then is tied in to the gift of the spirit. These two things go together. Likewise, Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And so it's, it's in that context, then, 
with this pouring of the water on this last and great day of the Feast of Booths that Jesus stood, stood up and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds that comment there in John 7.39, but this he spoke of the Spirit. Messianic age had come. The Spirit was going to be poured out. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, but the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Christ stands up and applies this, this imagery to himself, saying, come to me and drink. The Messianic age is here. And you can see the same thing happening in John chapter 8 as Jesus continues to apply the imagery of the Feast of Booths to himself. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is still taking place during the, during the Feast of Booths. It may well have been on that same day in which he had said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. But He's, again, doing the same thing, applying the imagery of the Feast of Booths to himself. The, uh, the Jewish Mishnah had described the, the lighting of golden candelabra that stood on the tops of these, these poles and talked about how these boys who were in the training for the priesthood would, would climb these ladders with, uh, with pitchers of oil and pour into the basin. And as the, uh, the Mishnah put it, the light from the candelabra was so bright that there was not a place... Uh, not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated from the light of the place of the drawing of the water. The pious and the men of action would dance before the people who attended the celebration with flaming torches that they would juggle in their hands and they would say, uh, play before them, uh, say before them the passages of song and praise to God and the Levites would play on lyres, harps, cymbals, trumpets and countless other musical instruments. And so I think... I think what we're seeing there, as recorded in the Mishnah, is the joy of the Feast of Booths. And, and there, in the midst of that joy, with all of this great light being shined out there into Jerusalem, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If anyone believes in me, he will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as it was with the, the drawing of the water, so also with the light, they're looking back, and looking forward, looking back to the way in which God had guided the people. How did he guide them in the wilderness? Well, with the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And they're also looking forward to the light that was to come into the world in the Messianic age with the coming of the Christ. And that light came. Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and did what? Tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. Zechariah had prophesied a day in which all who were left of the nations would go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and celebrate the Feast of Booths. Now, it's way beyond our purview to explore and expound Zechariah 14 in detail, but suffice this to say, at a bare minimum, the prophet uses the Feast of Booths to speak of a time in which the nations of the world, the Gentiles, would be included in the people of God and would worship the true God. And we find this in Revelation 21, that when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in, that it will come to pass, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And so, friend, in light of that, let these festivals point you to Christ. Let the sounding of the trumpets remind you of the preaching of the gospel and, as we find in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Let the Day of Atonement remind you that Christ has entered into the Holy of Holies by means of his own blood, and that he is there now at the right hand of God, making intercession for you, for me, for us, as our great high priest. And let the joyous festivities of the Feast of Booze the pouring of the water, the lighting of the candelabra, the, the building of, of the booths and the dwelling in them and the processions with the boughs and the palm branches, let them remind you of the joyous tidings that Christ has come and has tabernacled among us, that we can go to him and drink, that he is the light of the world and that one day the tabernacle of God will be among men forever. These feasts were shadows of the coming of Christ. And so let's humble ourselves before Christ in repentance and let's rejoice in the knowledge that sins are forgiven and that we're reconciled to God through Christ. So let's, let's pray. Our Father, we give praise to you that all of these things were, were pointing ahead to Christ and his great work, which he has now accomplished for us and Father, we ask that you would indeed help us, that we would would humble ourselves before you, that we would truly repent of sin, and Lord, that we would properly and rightly rejoice before you, even as we are commanded to rejoice in you always. So Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with rejoicing. Let us love you. Let us serve you with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.